Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we're working our way through this great epistle, we're now in the middle of chapter 12. Over the years, Marcia and I, when we, since we've been married, have had three dogs. Uh, two of them were little lap dogs that loved to sit on our laps and keep us warm. Marcia is particularly like that in the wintertime with the little dogs. The last dog was a Labrador Retriever. Uh, unfortunately, this lab thought it was a lap dog too at, on occasion. And I'd be sitting there reading away and that dog jumps up on my lap like it was about a 12-pound dog. And here I am with my Bible or whatever up by my chin, this great dog, big dog on me, thinking somehow he's a lap dog. You know, human nature is kind of like those dog, that dog. Uh, we always want to be what we're not. If we're short, we want to be tall. If we're tall, we want to be short. If we've got straight hair, we want curly hair. If we have no hair, we'd like to have some. I can understand that. But uh, we always seem to want to be what we're not. And that's part of human nature. We come to this passage of scripture here, and we find that the Corinthians were often, apparently, many of them, discontent with the role that they had in the body of Christ. There were some who looked down on others, who didn't have the gifts they had. There was others who looked up to others who had more uh, outgoing gifts, more predominant gifts, and they felt envious and perhaps jealous of that. And that's the attitude that was going on, I think, as Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The, uh, Paul, as, as Paul writes this chapter, we see this beautiful picture of how we need one another and how he develops this issue, this metaphor, the body of Christ that you and I are part of. As he does that, there's a, the, we see this overlap, almost a perfect overlap with the human body. The, the spiritual body, the body of Christ, the church, is, uh, this, is pictured as the human body, and there's a lot to be said for that. That means, as a body of Christ, a number of things. But we're going to look at two today, two very tightly overlapping things. First of all, every member is vital. Every member of the body is vital. Start, starting with verse 13, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, we were made to drink of one spirit. We saw that last week. Uh, there's, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that has nothing to do what, with what many people think it does. It's not a second work of grace. It is not evidenced by speaking in tongues. It is immersing us into the body of Christ. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does here as we see. We've all been baptized into the Spirit. We've all drank of the same one Spirit, he says here. Now verse 14. For the body is not one member but many. We've all been baptized into the body of Christ. There's one body but there are many members. So he is now branching out and what he wants to teach us here. It's popular today to talk about the church being a community. You'll see that on the signs and advertisements and so forth, and very, very common. But uh, I don't think that's really a very good metaphor or picture of what the church is about. Uh, the better is one is the body itself. I, the community is a group of people that happen to be living next to one another for whatever reason. Uh, all of us live in a community. It might be a, a town, it might be a subdivision. Uh, I live in a subdivision like most of you. I'm surrounded by houses and neighbors. Uh, I know uh, a number of my neighbors by name. Uh, I know their faces. We wave at each other. Once in a while we walk outside and at the same time and talk to one another. But quite frankly, we really don't know each other. And you probably don't know your neighbors well either. I, I don't, I'm not part of their lives and they're not part of mine. Great tragedies and great joys could take place in some of those homes, and I wouldn't know a thing about it. 
and same with me. Uh, it's a community of people gathering in one place, but it's not a body. Uh, when the body functions, uh, the body functions as one. It's not a, a scattering of people who are loosely connected in some form. Uh, we are a body. And quite frankly, sadly, often in churches, uh, churches are communities of people that are loosely connected in some way. They see each other on Sunday morning, perhaps. They wave each other at each other and going out to their cars, but they don't really know each other. They don't, they're not really involved with each other. Their lives do not really interact. And when that happens, that is a community, but it's not a body. And he's calling for us to be a body of Christ here in this passage. He says we are a body, and he's talking about us acting like a body of Christ. Some of the people apparently at the church at Corinth felt they had nothing to contribute to the body. Some of you might be in that category right here today. You feel too insignificant. You feel your gifts and your abilities and so forth are not of any real value, and therefore you have no part or very little part to play in the body of Christ. If that is the way you feel, let's take a look at what Scripture has to say here. Paul says to the people who feel that way, who feel non-essential, he wants to give us three truths. First of all, he says, every believer has a part to play. We've already read verse 14, we're one member. Look at verse 19. He says, if, if, they will, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. First, he points out the fact that no one member makes up the whole body. Uh, the body needs many, many parts, many, many members. Uh, in a human body, hundreds of parts are interrelated to make up the human body to, proper, to, to function properly. Verse 15, he goes on and talks about the believer who's discontent. He says, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is not for the, this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not any less the part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And we'll go back to that one in just a moment. Here's a discontent believer. Uh, someone who uh, doesn't see a part in the body. They know about the church, or they might even be a member of the church. They might be coming on a regular basis, but they don't see that they have any particular role to play in the body of Christ. And Paul says that thinking is false. That every member of the church. Every born-again believer of a local church is vital and necessary for that church to function. Too many people, however, say, well, you know, if I can't do a big thing, I won't do anything. If I can't be up front and so forth. And I've heard over the years so many people say things like, you know, I can't sing and I can't teach, so I really don't have a role to play. And Paul is saying that's nonsense here. Every part of the body is absolutely necessary. Here's the second truth. The needs of the body are more important than the, than the wants of the individual. The needs of the body are more important than the wants of the individual. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were a hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now we live in a very independent age, don't we? Very individualistic. Uh, and not only are we looking at our own needs, but we often look at our own wants and our whims and so forth, and those are so important to us. Sometimes our whole Christian life even is very self-centered. Uh, as the old prayer goes, some people pray this way, Lord bless me and my wife and my son and his wife and us four and no more. Well, if that's your prayer life, then you need to branch out a little bit 
and consider the other members of the body. You know, there's nothing more important to us than our happiness and our contentment and our whatevers, but uh, this passage hits us right between the eyes and said there's something far more important than you as an individual, and that is Jesus Christ and his body. God has not gifted us in order that we might simply please ourselves. God has gifted us uniquely in the body that we might do that which is good for the body. You know, I I think as I read a passage like this that uh, Paul had more of a sense of humor perhaps than we realize. Uh, We think of Paul as this, you know, very serious uh, theologian, a great believer, uh, the the apostle. Ever thought of Paul having a sense of humor? Uh, This is humorous. Give some imagination of this. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Get the picture. What if we were all one big eyeball? Just float, rolling around the house. This, this big eyeball, just rolling around here or there. The eye, you could see great, but you couldn't hear. So when somebody said, get your eyeball out of my soup, they, you couldn't hear that kind of thing. You're just rolling around doing the eyeball thing, but you, you don't, you can't, you're no body, you're just the eyeball. And what about hearing? The ear, ear bouncing around, you know, just bouncing around. It can't smell, it can't see. You know, it doesn't know where it's going, can't find the kitchen. It's just bouncing around. It's a big ear. Well, what value would it be if all we are were one part, just one thing? And so I think I find this humorous. Maybe you don't, but, but I find it kind of humorous. You know, if we, it was left to us, and we're going to get into this a little more, is it left to us, most of us would choose the, the more prominent gifts, the more important things that we, as we see it to do. I mean, who wants to be an, an elbow in the body of Christ uh, when we can be an eye, you know, or a brain, or something more pro- predominant? And so when he talks about this here, he says, if it was left up to us, we would choose to do that which we think is important, but God has other plans. God sees the body very differently. A number of years ago, some of you that are a little older might remember a singer by the name of Keith Green. He was one of the original uh, artists coming out of the Jesus People movement, one of the contemporary uh, Christian musicians. Uh, Keith Green uh, was uh, very predominant at that time. We still sang one of his songs, and Christina played it on the piano just a moment ago. There is a Redeemer, and he made that very, very prominent. Even his, even his wife wrote it. He died at age 28 in a, in a plane crash. He was kind of different than the others. He saw something coming up that most did not see. When, when, even though he was a big part of the, the contemporary Christian music scene, he saw that already in the early 70s that something was taking place that wasn't good. There was a celebrity mentality going on. There was a lot of money being made. Uh, the, the music was being produced by stockholders and big corporations rather than people who loved the Lord necessarily and uh, who were involved in local churches. He saw a big problem. He refused to take money for his albums, and I believe he refused to take money for his concerts. He said, we should not be making money off of ministry. Very different kind of guy. The one thing I do remember him saying, the one quote I remember from him is this, always stuck with me. He says, as I finish up a concert, I'm usually flooded by young people who come up to me and say, how can I break into the Christian music scene? How can I become a Christian music artist like you? He says, I have never once had anybody come up to me and say this, 
How can I become a missionary to a forgotten people? They wanted to be celebrities. They wanted to stand up and wow the audiences, but they didn't want to reach out for those who needed Christ. I always remember that as a man who, who was very predominant, very, very well known, very well used for a period of time, but he also saw something far more profound. And that is the body of Christ is made up of many, many parts. And so Paul talks about that here. A third truth. God's sovereignty, God has sovereignly arranged the body as he has chosen. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each of them in the body, just as he desired. Now I want you to camp out on that verse for just a moment. Uh, it, just as he desired. This is something he's already done. This is already set by God. Sovereignly he chooses how his, the body is to function. He's talked about that in verse 4. He says, and there are a variety of gifts with the same spirit. And then in verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. There's a lot of confusion over this issue I, where people want to chase after certain gifts and they want God to give them that gift and so forth. And we find in this passage of scripture that God has sovereignly placed you in the body as he wants you. He has chosen that place that you are to play, that part you are to play. God has sovereignly done so. He is sovereignly at work. The word here for has placed is the same word Jesus used in, Matt, in John chapter 15, verse 16. When it says there that he had appointed certain apostles to follow him. Early, in the early days of Jesus' ministry, um, he was very popular for a while. And many people wanted to follow him. But the Lord appointed 12 to be his apostles. And so he uses this same word here. He has appointed, he has placed people in the body just as he has chosen to place them there. And this is very helpful, I think, because we're, we're so think, much thinking about what we want to be that we're not content with what we are and what God has, to, has, has done for us to place us where he wants us to be. It would be kind of like a child in a womb. Think about this. If a, if a child was in the womb and had never seen life out here, did not know what the human body looked like, did not know how, how it functions, what if that child could choose what it would look like when it was born? Have you ever seen a child's drawing of a human body? It's usually pretty distorted. You might even have a foot coming out of somebody's head in some of those cases. The child in the womb does not know what is good and what is right. The children of God don't either. We don't know what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. God does. And in his sovereign will, he, he equips us, he gifts us, he gives us ability, and he places us in the body of Christ in an absolutely unique way, unlike any other person, because he's sovereign in that. I want to move on to the second thing we want to talk about, the second thing that, concerning the Bible. First of all, every member is necessary. Secondly, every member is vital. And that sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? Every member is necessary. Every member is vital. Starting with verse 21, however, Paul shifts his audience, I believe. So notice this carefully. In verse 21, he says this, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. Now, I think he shifted audiences here. Earlier, he was talking to those who felt unnecessary, 
like he really didn't have a role to play in the body. I believe at this point he's turned to those who think that they are the cat's meow, if you want to call it that. They are the top dogs in the room. They're, they're the ones really leading the church. They're the ones in charge. They're the ones doing the real ministry. And everybody else has missed the boat. They, they have missed the memo. They're not involved in things that are important. And they're looking down on those people. You ever feel like that? Some of you that might be more gifted or have more abilities. And you're, you're looking, well, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm accomplishing. They're not, but I am. Let me tell you something. God will humble you if that's the way you think. But right here, he's correcting. He's saying, you might think you're something special, and you might be. But let me tell you what. You cannot function without the rest of the body. The rest of the body is absolutely vital. So as he talks about this, God has placed the body in a, a, in a way that he wanted to for three reasons. Number one, to make us dependent upon one another. We saw that already in verses 21 and 22. He wants us to be dependent upon one another. Dependency is a dirty word today. People want to be independent. Uh, people want to be, be uh, a rugged individualist. Uh, and we... Uh, both historically and even today, we look to those rugged individuals, those people who seem to be bigger than life, and we, we make legends out of them. I just read a book about Jeremiah Johnson, the, who was famous because he was a pioneer mountain man who was a rugged individualist, so we remember him. Today it might be a Elon Musk, who just is just bigger than life, you know? He's out there, nobody, you know, nobody's quite like him. We look at people like that and we, we say, wow, that's cool. I, I want to be independent. But you know what? God loves dependent people. I'm not talking about people that have to be handheld all the time. I'm not talking about people that, that can't do anything on their own. I'm talking about people that recognize the need for one another. And God has designed the body so that we need one another. Each of us can do different things and other things we can't. In our staff meeting this last week, I found out that there's one of our staff members that may actually be more inept than I am when it comes to doing manual labor. Uh, I won't mention his name, but he said he tried to change the light bulb and it started to smoke, you know, and he had to call in reinforcements. I won't mention his name, but uh, he's in the room. Okay. <laughs> Too often we become proud and competitive because of what we can do and others cannot do. We might even get offended. I, one of my first jobs in uh, late high school, early college was to work for a bricklayer. I uh, did, uh, didn't do the brickwork. I carried stuff to them and stuff like that. And uh, it, this guy who owned this business, very well-crafted man, very, very gifted. He did, did all sorts of beautiful work. But he had something in his heart where he was against anybody who went to college. So anybody who didn't want to get their hands dirty Anybody that wanted to use their brains for work instead of their hands, he looked down upon them and was constantly berating such people, including me who was going to college, which so that's why I remembered, I suppose. But I, w I didn't want to have a bad back at 40. I'd like to have a bad brain at 40. And so it worked out well. Uh, <laughs> when there's diversity in the body, what keeps it from becoming competitive like that? What keeps it becoming that where certain people are looking down on other people? One thing, and he's going to move to that to chapter 13, and that's love. And that's why chapter 13 is in between chapter 12 and 14. Not just numerically. 
but because it is all bathed in love. The body functions when it is in love with one another. Verse 23, he says, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked. Here's a second reason. We, we, as I read those verses, those parts of our body that don't seem as essential are more private, we give higher honor. So Paul speaks of that. Here's a second reason. He wants us to, to be dependent upon one another, but he doesn't want any division in the body. That's why he creates the body as such. He says in verse 25, the very first line, so there may be no division in the body. He creates the body so it's dependent upon one another so that we don't get, have divisions that, because we so much need one another. And the human body is the same way, right? There have been many times in my life where my right hand has offended my left hand, usually when I'm using a hammer. <laughs> I hit my thumb or my hand with a hammer, and I told you I'm, in, I'm inept, but not as bad as the other guy. Uh, <laughs> When I hit my hand with a hammer, the rest of my body is angry with my right hand. But we never think about getting rid of it. It's too essential. It's too needed. We're angry at it. What did you do that for? But we're not going to get rid of it. It's too, it's bad, it's too badly needed. It's important to realize the need because in the human body, when we have these diseases called autoimmune diseases, in which the body turns on itself. And when that happens, we get very sick, and we may die. What happens when the body of Christ turns on itself? When we have a spiritual autoimmune disease, it gets very sick, and often it dies, and it certainly dishonors Christ. A division arises in the body when we forget how badly we need one another. Thirdly, the third reason, so that we will care for one another, in the end of verse 25, he says, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Verse 26, and if, all, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. God creates the body the way he does so that we care for one another. When my right hand hits my left hand with a hammer, it's not just something between my right hand and my left hand. My whole body gets involved. You know what I mean? My mouth screams, my eyes water, my feet jump up and down, I might run around the garage, uh, my heart speeds up, and even my right hand gets involved and starts rubbing my left hand, you know? It's been, it, it rubs its victim because it cares. Uh, we're not just a bunch of people glued together. We're not just a community that wave at each other across the, the street. We are a body of Christ, and when one member hurts, the whole body gets involved. When one member rejoices, the whole body rejoices with it. Now I will admit that because of our sin sinfulness, that sometimes it's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice than weep with those who weep. When somebody in our body is honored, it's easy for us to say, well, I'm as good as them, and we don't rejoice with them. But when the body loves one another, that is never the case. We are thrilled that honor has taken place with that. When my brain has been honored in some way, which hasn't happened often, uh, the rest of my body rejoices. 
when someone in our body is honored or has a wonderful opportunity, as yesterday with this beautiful wedding, we rejoice together with one another with the great joy that is there. On the other side, we weep with those who weep, right? When someone in the body hurts, we weep, we cry. Some of, some of our people have gone through deep waters and are going through deep waters right now. And we're praying, we're reaching out, we're loving, we're crying because we care about those people. The body functions like that on a physical level. It functions like that in a spiritual level as well. Some of you may remember a theologian, Bible scholar by the name of Earl Rodmacher. Uh, he was around some years ago, died, died a few years ago. He said something I thought was interesting. He said, most of our evangelistic campaigns focus on the wrong people, on the unsaved. Now that's radical, isn't it? We focus on telling the unsaved they're lost. Now I think that's essential. But he said something else. He says this, but we ought to be focusing on believers. For the world will know that we are Christ's disciples when we love one another. Not our words, not our campaigns, not our church services, but when we truly love one another. I think Jesus said something like that, didn't he? They'll know we are his disciples when we love, have love for one another. He said, I'm convinced that if the church was truly act like the church, as the church ought to act, that the world would look at us and say, hey, something's going on over there. Something supernatural. It's not like anything else in the world. It, there's a love of Christ being personified through a church who is a body of Christ that love one another and love Jesus Christ supremely. I don't know if I would agree 100% with, with Mr. Rodmacher, but I think he has a good point. You know, our society right now, our culture, is in desperate need of seeing churches that honor Christ, that act like the body of Christ. We don't always agree and don't always get along, but we're, there's a bond of love as the body has there. We need each other, we love each other, we reach out to each other, and we, even, even when we disagree, we disagree in a way that honors Jesus Christ. The world desperately, desperately needs that right now because of all the things that have happened in recent times that show something different. The body of Christ is the picture of Jesus Christ to the world, and we shouldn't forget that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for this passage of Scripture that speaks of yourself, speaks of your love, speaks of your body. Father, help us as a church to remember these great, great terms, these great teachings, and want to live as you have designed us to live as your body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.